Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more. Welcome to Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio, and today I have a really special guest with me who's just finished 
writing a, an amazing book, The Beatles and Me on Tour. And um, I have author journalist Ever Davis with me, and we're going to bring him into the studio. And if you'd like to call in, I'm sorry about my voice, too. It's a little raspy today. The number is 347-677-1036. And I do have the chat room open. And if you would like to go into the chat room, you may do so. And I'm going to be posting links to his website. We're going to be talking a lot about the different things that um, – he has done, not only has he written this amazing book, he's also been a journalist and written some other books um, that are pretty pretty amazing. So let me bring him into the studio and we can talk a little bit more. Welcome to the show. There you Thank are. you for having me. Thanks, Holly. Great I'm to so be on. I'm glad you're here. Did you love that version of that song that I opened up with? You know, I want to tell you, the more I hear it, the better it is because it is such a great piece and I must tell you, the first time I actually heard it was was on the concert tour. Would you believe, fifty fifty years ago? I mean, it's 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 impossible to believe, but that was it. And then I watched the movie, A Hard Day's Night, with the Beatles in Atlantic City, and you hear it again and again. But I I heard things I hadn't heard before when you played it a few moments ago, Holly. Yeah, I, that was the live version I found. So that was um, a little different because you could hear them. <laughs> you can hear them laughing. giggling in the background. Giggling. Yeah, I yes. thought it was pretty cool. So it was. Tell us a little bit about. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. And first, I want to give your website out, just so everybody can go there and check it out. And it's i v o r d a v i s beatles dot com. And it's an amazing website. The 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 visuals on this website are really cool. And also what I really thought was really great was how you interviewed yourself. <laughs> that was so cute. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I must tell you that I, that when I did it, I just did it as a kind of lark, a bit, a bit of fun. But my uh-huh. kids said, Dad, that is cheesy. Get rid of it. No, it's cute. Yes. <laughs> it's cute. No, it's yeah, thank cute. You. I think it's great. Thank you. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey with the Beatles and also some of the other things that you've done and um, uh, how you, your London-based, first came to America in the early 60s and you were appointed the West Coast correspondent for the London Daily Express in 1963 and your first assignment came the following year to hang out and travel with the, the new pop group from Liverpool, the Beatles. And besides that, you've also written some other books Divided a Stand, which chronicled the presidential election. And also you wrote another book, um, Five to Die, the first book ever published about the Sharon Tate murders, which I think is really amazing. Um, you're a very well-rounded person, I'll tell you that. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah. No, so well, tell our listeners a little you bit know, about I, I you should, I should say, yeah, yeah. You know, I should say, strangely enough, uh, a murder mm-hmm. book and the Beatles, uh, you uh, would think, doesn't have much in common, but but the the bizarre thing is, of course, that when I was covering this awful Sharon Tate case, um, uh, the 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 Manson gang said the Beatles inspired him to do his horrendous things as a result of the album Helter Skelter. I know, isn't that, isn't that weird? And you know, it's really even weird. weirder. I have to tell you this: I had heard about you, and the night before, I got. Um, confirmation that we were going to do this interview I had just watched a whole special about Charles Manson 
and about why he did it, and it was like an in-depth thing, and it talked about Helter Skelter and the Beatles and all that. And then the very yes. next day, day, I heard about you and doing this interview, and I, it was kind of weird. And then I saw you wrote a book about it, so it was very unusual. But I want to stay really light and really fun about this, and I want to know how you sure. got to be going on tour with the Beatles and a little bit more about um, your whole thing because, I mean, you were given basically a golden ticket, and I think that's pretty amazing. So, um, yes, tell you're, us you're a absolutely bit about right, that. Holly. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you that, that it was a total fluke, uh, happenstance, mm-hmm. one of those strange fates of life that brought me with the Beatles because I was a foreign correspondent in Los Angeles, a new boy on the block, and my editor called me from London and said, the Liverpool lads are coming over for their first American tour, and we want you to go with them, fly to San Francisco where they've just landed, travel with them the whole tour, eat with them, drink with them, hang out with them, write about them, and also uh, George Harrison is writing a column for our newspaper, the London Daily Express, I want you to write George Harrison's column because he's not really a great writer. He's pretty good as a musician. So that was it. I knew very little about them. I'd seen them on the Ed Sullivan Show, as 74 million Americans did as well. And and they were a huge success in February 1964. So successful, Holly, that five months later, off they came to America to conquer America. And they, believe me, they were not sure they would do it. Paul said to me, what can we give the Americans that they don't already have? Well, you know, you know what they gave America in 1964 and what they've been giving America for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to know what it was like for you when you first met them and how that all happened. I really want to relive those moments. I mean, this is pretty crazy. I read... I told you what my favorite parts in the book were, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yes. um, I want to hear what it was like for you when you first met them and what it was like for you to hang out with them and play Monopoly with with John, which I understand he yes. likes to play Monopoly a lot late at night. He did. Cars yeah, late at night. Because, like that. Yeah, because he, oh, he yeah. was trapped in his hotel. He was trapped there. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is when I went to San Francisco – uh, I'd never seen the Beatles perform except on television with the Ed Sullivan Show. So I got to San Francisco and I thought I'd walked into insanity because my cab from the airport took me to the Hilton Hotel and, and the place was under siege. There were hundreds of young women outside the hotel screaming. And I thought, well, are they screaming because I've just arrived? I quickly discovered that wasn't the case. Uh, of course, it was the Beatles. So I went to their up to their suite, Derek Taylor, who was the incredible, very brilliant PR and man for the Beatles and, uh, and, and the personal assistant to Brian Epstein, introduced me to them all. And to be honest with you, Ali, the moment I met them, they were, they were a bit cool. I mean, I could have been the Queen of England coming in and they gave me a sort of short attention because they were absolutely jet-lagged. They were exhausted yeah. and they were sitting around, lying around, watching... They were thrilled to be watching color television. Believe it or not, back then, color television in, in America was growing, but in England, 
wasn't very big. So they were mesmerized by the TV. They kind of gave me short shrift. But as we went along on this incredible journey, I became friendly with them. Uh, I became a sympathetic ear and an eye. And they were trapped in the hotel room, so they had to talk to me. And, and the journey continued for five weeks across America. Uh, unbelievable concerts and just a, a, a ticket to ride that I never expected would turn out to be so fabulous. Yeah, I mean, I can just imagine um, what it would be like just to walk in the room with them. And I can only – I can – I can see that they'd probably be jet lagged and they were young too. That's what I was reading in the book that they were very young um adults. They hadn't really gotten into their prime yet and they really didn't know really what it was like to be, you know, a superstar. And no. I thought it was really funny when I and and you mentioned the people that um when you went up to the room and the people that you met and all the different things that were going on you know, what I thought was really funny was the party, first of all, the very first party where it was the charity party, where everybody yes. came with all their kids and everything, and how they well, that, really... Well, that was an, in, yeah, um, an incredible really story. Think, yeah. I want to hear I mean, about here, that here, did, here were these... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I want to hear it. Go, go, go. Yeah. So here's what happened. So Alan Livingston, the head of Capitol uh-huh. Records, wanted to show off, show off these incredible kids who had come to America and, be, and, and become top of the hit parade. So he said, rather than do a concert, we'll have a garden party for charity. And so they had a party in, in Beverly Hills, just to the edge of Beverly Hills, and the Beatles came and sat under a tree on high chairs. Every single Hollywood star, I mean, the biggest, the huge stars uh, at the time, Edward G. Robinson, Groucho Marx, um, wonderful Zsa Zsa Gabor. Uh, they all came along, and the way they got in was they paid 25 bucks to come in, but they had to bring a child or a grandchild. And the Beatles were, were, were princes. They sat there for an hour and a quarter, meeting all these strangers. Some of them they knew. They obviously knew Edward G. Robinson, or Paul confused him with a, another gangster actor called James Cagney. But for an hour, they sat there, made small talk with these people, had their picture taken with the stars. And believe it or not, some of the stars actually gatecrashed the party. The famous comedian Groucho Marx told me that he <laughs> came along without a child and they almost barred him. But he said, I like to come to parties where the food and the drink are free. So for an hour and a bit, they sat around and they met these stars who behaved like fans with the Beatles and had their picture taken. And then after it all, Paul said to me, well, it was a great afternoon, but it probably would have been easier to do a concert. I know. That's what I was reading in there, and I thought that was really funny. Yes, it and, was. Um, it was. I was reading how, how they were really bored with, uh, bored with the whole thing. <laughs> well, they were bored. Um, let me tell you this. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Holly, the, the, the difference was that they didn't like movie stars or personalities who try to cash in on their fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane Mansfield, who at the time was a, a very uh, statuesque, uh, blonde uh, Hollywood bombshell, who'd been hired in Hollywood to, to, to step in for Marilyn Monroe if Marilyn Monroe misbehaved. She liked the boys. She was a great PR person, and she wanted to have her picture taken with the Beatles. So she showed up one night very late, uh, wanted a picture taken. Uh, Brian said no. So next day, uh, John, who was 
rather taken with this gorgeous lady, uh, agreed to go with um, all the Beatles except for Paul, who was otherwise engaged with Jane Asher, went to the Whiskey A Go-Go nightclub on Sunset Boulevard. Now, it sounded like a great evening, but uh, Jane had tipped off all the paparazzi. The Beatles were trapped in a booth, and they were getting, getting a bit drunk as the evening went on. And finally, a photographer stuck a camera under George's nose. George exploded, told the guy to stop taking pictures. George threw a drink at him, missed the photographer, and, and, and the drink landed on another statuesque, stunning woman there called Mamie Van Doren, another actress. Uh-huh. And, and as soon as that happened, all hell broke loose, and the Beatles and their, uh, decided to make a quick getaway. And, and, and that was not a, not a great evening because... A photographer had a picture of George throwing a drink at him, and uh, that wasn't the kind of PR the Beatles wanted. Oh, no, I totally hear you on that one. I, I think that's really funny because, you know, everybody thinks that, oh, they're, they were perfect, they were untouchable, they were this, they were that. And the thing is, there's such a story behind everybody that um, is involved in their life. What? How did you... How did you get beyond being the person that was there to be the journalist and be there and, and know what was going on and be their friend and get close to them? Um, what was it like? Well, well the, the, yeah, the answer to that is, is fairly simple. I mean, I was mm-hmm. much older than them. I was one year older than them. And I was a young guy that came from uh, the United Kingdom, came from England. Uh, we had a few things in common. We sort of grown together in up together in war-torn England. And after all, you, you understand, they were trapped prisoners mm-hmm. in their hotel rooms. And yeah. so they actually were stuck. They were stuck with me. Um, and so we got, we, you know, we'd drink uh, and, uh, and we'd actually, uh, John would call at two or three in the morning and say, we're playing Monopoly, come over, Ivor. And I'd come over and play Monopoly because he couldn't leave the, um, he couldn't leave the hotel because if he did, he probably would have been torn limb from limb. Anyway, so they were stuck in the hotel rooms. I came over. I played Monopoly with John, who cheated a little way, just in case you wanted to know what kind of player he was. If he wrote, when he rolled the dice, if he didn't land on the property that he wanted, he would say, "Oh, going to do it again." Uh, and so, so he was he was a, 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 he was a nice cheat. Oh, and then we used to, we used to play poker. We used to play poker for money, and John was a terrible poker player. And fortunately, I and a photographer called Kirk Gunther um, lounged room frequently with our pockets full of money. So it was it was worth worth playing poker with John for the financial reward. Oh, I can imagine. I bet I'm sure. What um, do you have any any one of them that really got really personal with you and really shared some really intimate things with you that really they asked for your advice or anything? Were you like a mentor to them on anything? Well, well, I wasn't really a mentor because don't forget, even though I was a year older than them, we were mm-hmm. all young men. The Beatles, as you can imagine, were, were young men with a very healthy libidos. They, they loved the ladies when they came calling. And basically, the only thing that John and Paul and the rest of the boys would talk to me about was to complain about the terrible sound system at the concerts. The oh, fact wow. that they could not they could not hear themselves. They couldn't hear mm-hmm. themselves sing. It was so bad, Holly, that um, a couple of times Ringo just lost 
where he was at, which song he was singing. And he said to me, I would read John or Paul's lips and realize, oh, we were singing Long Tall Sally or, or Hard Day's Night, and I managed to catch up. So it was crazy. And the other important thing is, I'm sure you know this, is that from the moment the Beatles came out to sing, the girls screamed from start to finish. Oh, yeah. So that didn't you help. You couldn't even hear the help. songs. Yeah. You couldn't hear the song. Yeah. In fact, that, I don't even, even today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, And that's no, no. why listening to you play, yeah. L- listening can... to you play Hard Day's uh-huh. Night was terrific. Yeah, because you can Just hear great. the whole thing. I can hear the whole thing, yeah. screaming in the background, which is funny because when you go to your site, your website, again, which is I-V-O-R-D-A-V-I-S-B-E-A-T-L-E-S.com, and I'll put that in the chat room too. When you open it up, it's got a group, and um, when you click on it, it has a whole bunch of girls screaming in the background. That's too funny that you did that. That's what you remember, huh? That's what I remember. That's what I remember, and that's what the Beatles remember. Plus the fact, as you, I'm sure, know, as soon as they started to sing, uh, a lot of the in the audience started throwing jelly beans. Uh, most of them missed the Beatles and hit me. Oh, Very no. dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I went to hospital six times. No, I'm joking. I didn't go to hospital <laughs> six times. I'm just, pull, I'm just pulling your leg. No, but I mean, but they, but they used to, t- these little tiny jelly beans stung they used to hit me in the back of the head, and finally I ended up showing at one of the concerts in a, in a, in, a, in an iron mask. No, I just made that up. That was total fiction. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't resist. Sorry about that. You're funny. Uh, well, you know, um, when I was reading the book, there were some parts in the book that I really resonated towards, which was the Bob Dylan stories that are in the book that are really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, those were great. Yeah, but, but that was that was a good one. Well, let um, let me refresh your memory because you read yeah. it not long ago. I mean, Bob Dylan was a fan of the Beatles, and the Beatles were a fan of Bob Dylan. So finally, they got together the night before the Beatles finished their tour. Bob Dylan showed up at our hotel on the edge of New York near the airport, and I saw him coming in because I thought, who is that fellow who looks like? Um, a bit of a scavenger. He looks as though he's a homeless person. He looks uh-huh. very scruffy, very scruffy. He came marching in with a backpack on his back, marched straight into the Beatles suite. Uh, they all sat around. We were we were just I- inside, not in the same room, but we were just in the next room. They all put towels down on the on the floor to stop the smoke escaping. And Bob Dylan then presented big fat marijuana cigarettes to the Beatles. Now, oh, that's uh, funny. I, I, yeah, it, and what happened was Ringo was not used to, of what they call marijuana procedure. I mean, I didn't know this because I, you know, I mean, I was pure as a driven snow. But what you have to do is you take two puffs of a cigarette and pass it on. Ringo didn't realize that, and he smoked the whole cigarette. So much so that when, when the door opened, he kind of staggered out on his knees. He was zonked. And the rest of the Beatles were also pretty zonked. And Dylan took off, and the Beatles were horribly, groggily hungover. And the next morning, they were still hungover as we went to the airport and they flew back to England. Uh, thank heavens they didn't have a concert that night. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine that. That would have been, that would have been crazy. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, it is, isn't, that you know, went on. And then that went on for a while too, didn't it? Um, the um, them smoking a lot. They smoked pretty much. Yeah, they well, well of course uh, they 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 liked the they liked the marijuana, uh, uh, but they also liked, as I'm sure you know, they liked other stimulants. Um, because they had performed in Germany uh, before mm-hmm. they came to America. They had to stay awake because they performed from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. with a few breaks. So they had mm-hmm. to take stimulants to keep them awake. So they took them with them on the, on the tour. But uh, along the way and as, uh, after the concerts, as everybody knows, they took s- stronger stuff, uh, LSD and other, other stimulants, t- just as a kind of an experimental thing. And they went mm-hmm. through their heavy drug period, and they, and they also on the tour – uh, like to drink um, rum and Coca-Cola. They drank it like it was milkshakes. Oh, funny. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, we're going to take yeah. a, a really quick break, and I want to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, when they met Elvis and some of the yes. other memorable moments in this book, and we're going to let everybody know where to get it. So if anyone would like to call in, again, the number is 347 347- Six seven seven one zero three six, and again, this is Red Velvet Media. And if you missed the beginning of the show, you can check the show out afterwards on iTunes and also on demand on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. In the meantime, we'll be right back. And uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for more from Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media. I like getting to the essence of what's going on. Her deeply spiritual journey of transformation. I think that art itself is cathartic, but it's not healing. Tell me how creativity feeds your soul. She will inspire you to find your true voice. Aha. Super Soul Sunday. Sunday, 11 a.m. 10 Central, followed by an all-new episode of Health Death. Only here. It's interesting to me that your music was so liberating and healing for so many women in particular. And I wonder, did it ever, did it heal you? A yes when I would listen back to it years later. So there are times, quiet little moments, apparently not so private anymore, but um, (laughs) driving and I'll listen to a song and I'll just sob the whole way through it because I'll listen to it as though past self was singing to me now. Really? Yes. But when you were doing it and writing it and in it, it was not. It was not the same. There would be a movement of energy, and I, I actually think that, that art itself is cathartic, but it's not healing. I thought that I could get away with writing You Ought to Know and writing these songs, and it would absolve me and redeem and clean up. But after having sung You Ought to Know night after night after night, if I ran into that person, I, I would have likely been catapulted right back to feeling uncomfortable and terrified and, un, you know, awkward. So there you go. That's going to be on uh, the new own on Super Soul Sunday. Alanis Morissette's going to be on with Oprah Winfrey. So 
We're back. <laughs> We're back. Back indeed. Will... Yes. There Good to be are. back. Yeah. Back in the USSA. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So tell me, um, you know, I want to talk about some of the favorite parts in the book that when when you wrote this book, um, what was it like? writing this book and reliving some of the moments. Did you find yourself really excited, and uh, was it easy to write? Well, you know, uh, Holly, the incredible thing is that I kind of vagued out. I went back in time. I took a time capsule back. It was Mm -hmm. quite incredible. Um, Not only did I have my memories, which I'm still – I'm not too foggy-brained. I'm still fairly there – but mm-hmm. I also was able to get all my clippings from my George Harrison columns, my, what I wrote uh, from from my uh, newspaper in England. And then I called a lot of people that were on the trip with me, like Art Schreiber, who was a Westinghouse reporter, and Tony Delano, who worked uh, for, a, for, a, for a newspaper in England but was in the south of France. And, and then there was a guy called Harry Benson, who was a brilliant photographer, whose pictures are in my book. Um, I spoke to them and I asked them to, do you remember when we did this? Uh, Do you remember the time when Ringo got lost? Do you remember we thought he was kidnapped? Do do you remember when Paul uh, asked you to uh, chat up a beautiful young woman and you told him to take a running jump? Uh, (laughs) And I remembered (laughs) And um, I remembered some of that stuff, and Art and Tony and Harry would refresh my memory. And and it's amazing, uh, once you get off and running, that some of the stories came back, and it, it became easier as I went along because I was transfixed. And I had my own time machine back 50 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I still think it's pretty amazing that you and I are talking about this half a century Half a century later, Holly. Good gosh! I mean, I think you weren't even a. Uh, you were. You were certainly not. And they're not, still uh, living. And they're. And, and the thing yes. is, the Beatles were huge. They're an icon. I mean, John Lennon, um, yes. all the Beatles, every one of them are all remembered in their own ways. And what's great is, some of their siblings, their their children, have lived on yes. to create their own thing and create a legacy, like with John's kids and also with. Uh, um, George's George's son and yes. um, you know everybody else. I mean, it's just it's just amazing how it goes on and on and on and on. It just never ends. It, it is like it, it, Holly. It is like nothing else on earth because there isn't. When as, as you know, when you go to these Beatle Fest uh, yeah. events, which are promoted by a guy called Mark Lapidos, who's made it his life. You uh-huh. run into people that you knew, you half knew. It's like rediscovering family members you never knew existed. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a and and I always tell people now, I didn't know it at the time, but the Beatles sprinkled me with a kind of magic invisible beetle dust because mm-hmm. we're having this this conversation. Um I, I, I've been chatting, talking to uh, a- Angie, who is the stepmother of Paul McCartney, and and uh, the girlfriend, uh, the ex fiance of Ringo, um, just people that Nancy? I run Nancy? into. What? Nancy, exactly Leandrew? the lovely, the lovely I Nancy. Know Nancy. Yes. I love Nancy. Yeah, she's, Nancy's great. She's great, isn't she? Yeah. I love so, Nancy. So, yeah. Yes, she is terrific. She told me some fun stories. 
Yeah, well, she's good. She's got some great stories. I mean, I must mm-hmm. tell you a quick funny story, and I, I yeah, had a bit I of fun hear. with We have time. I've extended it. I hope you yeah. have time. Sure, yeah. sure. So so we were at the Beatle uh, Fest for Fans in Chicago, uh-huh. and um, somebody asked Nancy, uh, we were in the same room together, uh, said to Nancy, Nancy, uh, what was it about... Um, about Ringo that turned you on, and she said, "Well, I looked into those gorgeous eyes, and 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 he was just wonderful." And I said, "Nancy, I hate to bring this up," I said, "but very often when I looked into Ringo's eyes after a hard night's drinking, they were bloodshot." Uh-huh. So she took, she she got the humour. She got the humour. So anyway, I mean, I didn't, um, I did not end up uh, nuzzling with Ringo, but you know, but that's the that's the difference. So that was a funny, funny story with Nancy. I know that he expressed in the book that he had uh, admitted that he had a, that he felt like he had a problem with alcohol after a while. Yeah. Uh, well, let me let me tell you that story because he yeah. did have a problem with alcohol. And when mm-hmm. I saw him uh, after the concert, after the tours were over, and he was going in his own way in his own career, we mm-hmm. went along to talk about his new show for PBS Kids program, and. Yeah. He started telling me about how he'd re- he was recovered a, a recovered alcoholic, him and his beautiful wife Barbara, and mm-hmm. much to the chagrin of the television network, he was talking to me about that and telling me all about his his battle to overcome liquor, and he said that he he didn't remember a lot of stuff because he just saw pictures of him at concerts and, <laughs> and couldn't remember he was there, but the picture yeah, showed that he was there. Yeah, blackout type thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so, but fortunately, Ringo, by the way, I'm sure you know this, Ringo has pulled it together fantastically, so much so that I went to see him a month ago with his all-star band, and mm-hmm. Ringo has the good sense, the great sense, to let other musicians come under the spotlight. Ringo is the, the draw, the, 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 the legend. He sings, he plays the drums, but he lets the other musicians have their moment in the sun, and that is very, very intelligent and very generous of him. Oh yeah, and and the latest thing that he's doing with John Varvatos, the peace, um, the peace line, and then he's also doing the drumming for peace um, promotion. Did you see that video? Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. Yes, um, I did. Steven and, and, you know, he, in it. Yeah. Yeah. Now the only like thing that said. I'm trying to do, yeah, what I'm trying uh-huh. to do for Ringo. Uh, and, uh-huh. and you can help me on this, is it's yeah. about time the Queen of England made him Sir Ringo. Oh, I mean, they made Paul, Paul, Sir Paul. Why not Ringo? So we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to go to England um, after a trip on the Queen Mary to, where I'm a lecturer about the Beatles. When I get to England, I'm going to go knocking at the door of Buckingham Palace. I'm going to get to the Queen and say Ringo deserves to become Sir Ringo. I don't. I don't think that that's a problem. You're going. You're going to do a lecture on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Yeah. Yes, I am. Really? Uh, no, What's not in that? Long Beach. Not not in Long Beach, Holly. Which Here's one? what I'm doing. I'm flying to okay. New York, the Queen okay. Mary two, uh, okay. at the end of October, and we're going over to London on the ship on the Queen Mary two, and I'm a I'm a guest lecturer about the Beatles on the Queen Mary two, which is fun. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's amazing. So it's going to be a Beatles cruise. A Beatles cruise, exactly. Exactly. Is May, I'll, May I'll Payne going to be I, on that? Well, you know, I'm not Payne. sure. Um, there's going to be a few other Beatle people. I don't know exactly, but 
but uh, besides getting a free cabin we have to we have to row the ship about an hour a day but other than that yeah, it's that. all free oh see that's yes. hard work for you <laughs> it is hard work yeah you're um, funny yeah. R- row the boat ashore sorry <laughs> I, I, I can't resist it throwing in silly things because i'm a silly fellow no, it's great. It adds a little more to it. Adds it shows your personality. And again, if anyone <laughs> would like to call in, it's three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. We'd love to take phone calls in. Um, Marshall, if you're listening, Marshall Terrell, or anybody out there that has any questions, please make sure to call that number. And if you're in the chat room, thank you for tuning in. And if you Missed the beginning. It'll be available on iTunes afterwards and on demand on Red Velvet Media. Getting back to um, the Beatles tour that you're going to go on. Yes. Um, oh, I remember that. Yes. You remember that one? Go okay, ahead. that yeah, one. Yeah, I remember one it now. Glad you brought it up. Queen Mary. Queen Mary too. Sorry. Yeah. Queen Mary too. So yes. you are going to go on that tour. I'm sh- I'm I'm hoping. I think Nancy will probably be on that tour because usually she does the Beatles tours and. So does May, and so does Cynthia Lennon. I know Cynthia does it a lot, and um, quite a few other well, people. Well, I hope I hope so because that means I can dance with Nancy. You and know, we can we can awesome. boogie to the Beatles music. That would be fun, yeah. wouldn't it? Nancy's amazing. She's such a yeah. great has a great heart, and uh, I saw the a funny pictures of the Ringo lookalike that came to visit there. Did you see that? Oh. Yeah, you know, I, the picture I saw most recently with Ringo when their house burnt in Hollywood. Ringo, oh, yeah. I, I guess kind of, you saw face. that? Yeah, I yes. saw that one. Yeah. Did she yeah, tell you about the night that he one. shaved his eyebrows off? No, no, she didn't. She didn't, oh. but I'm going to ask her. That. I, I just made a note. Ask Nancy yep. shaved eyebrows. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, ask her, ask her about the night they drank absinthe. She'll tell oh, you about that. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Yeah. That you know was what a, they, you know what they say? They say, <laughs> Holly, they say absinthe makes the heart go fonder. Never mind. That was a terrible part. <laughs> that's the green fairy that comes to visit, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, gosh, that stuff. Uh, six glasses of that, and uh, it's like it's like Nyquil, but a little little more sophisticated. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. No. No. Nyquil, no. Right? No. No. That's cool. Yeah, Sorry. she told me that when I had her on the on the show once. She was telling me a little bit about that, and um, that was pretty funny. But uh, well, I have I have it down here. If it's all right with you, I say Holly said about ask about shaved eyebrows and absinthe. Absinthe. Yeah, that okay. was. She'll tell you that private little story. It won't be so private anymore, but it but it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. So now. Um, the time that the Beatles met Elvis, I read that part and I thought that was funny. Yeah. It was the part where they went to the house and the house was like a Las Vegas casino and it was decorated yeah. and Priscilla was there and and basically um, he was very, very protective over her. And then um, I think it was Ringo that grabbed the TV remote out of his hand and started playing with the well, TV remote. Well, he goes, well, he just, Going to watch TV? Yeah, me, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> right, right. Well, let me let me just let me just give you the the back set, um, yeah. if I may, Holly. So what had happened was the Beatles were trying to get together to meet Elvis. They loved Elvis. John grew up on on the Heartbreak Hotel, uh, Blue Suede uh-huh. Shoes. He loved Elvis. He he had to listen to Elvis 79 times to understand what he was saying, but he loved his rhythm because mm-hmm. Elvis had a strange Memphis Southern accent that. The Englishman cannot understand. Anyway, so for for a long time, 
Brian Epstein and Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's manager, wanted to bring the boys together, but they never quite made it the first tour. Then in 1965, it came together. Now, what you've got to realize, if, if you don't mind me saying, is that Elvis was on the decline in the records. He was knocked off the top of the hit parade by the Beatles. So there was a little bit of jealousy there with, with the Beatles. At the same time, Elvis was making three copycat movies a year, uh, which he didn't like doing, and the Beatles made A Hard Day's Night, which was a sensation. So by the time they got together, Elvis was a little bit um, jealous, uh, and the, they didn't hit it off right away, as you said. Uh, but finally, when Elvis said, I'm going to bed unless you guys have come to jam, then all hell broke loose. They got the, they got the guitars out, they got plugged in, and they started jamming for about half an hour, and that loosened them all up, and everybody after that had a good time. Oh, that's funny. And I like how when they left, he he told somebody to go off, and then they were each presented with a bag of one of every one of his albums that he had ever done. Yes. Well, that was funny. It was it was the oh it was the uh, uh, predecessor or the uh, of the goodie bag. He felt that I mean it's kind of funny really when you think that Colonel Parker mm-hmm. decided to give the Beatles every one of Elvis's records in That's a goodie bag. Up. Yeah, That's whereas yeah, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. uh, uh, but that was strange, and I think the Beatles enjoyed it, enjoyed getting their goodie bags, but they. They all got slight hernias lifting the heavy bag out into the limousine as they went home. No, they didn't get slight hernia. I just made that up as we went along. That's but, funny. But the, book, the book is not made up, uh, Holly. It's all truthful, except for the hernia joke. No, sorry, go ahead. No, I know the book's true. I think the yeah. book's great. I Thank think you. this is such a brilliant piece of work, and you guys have to get this book, The Beatles and Me on tour. And um, it has... 40 pictures from some of the world's leading Beatles photographers in there. They're amazing pictures. I, um, If you're listening to the show on your player, you can see some of the images that were sent to me um, through your um, publicist that you're working with. She's awesome. Yeah, I love her yeah, so Kathleen much. Kaiser. She's a, yeah, Kathleen, Kathleen is an old, great. is an old, not an old, sorry. Kathleen is a music maven who has handled... Every all the rock stars going back to Alice Cooper. Remember Alice Cooper? Oh, I know Alice. Yeah, I know Alice, yeah. and yep, Alice. What a great guy! And um, oh, I thought she was a lady. Damn it! Oh, she's, just, <laughs> yeah, she's a no. guy. I have to tell you something about about her. She's so funny. When we talked on the phone, she says, "I had no idea." He's been such a friend for such a long time, and I never knew he did all the things he did. And when he started telling me all the things he did, I was just blown away. She was just like so blown away with everything that you've done, and she oh, it's, it's very nice. Is finds you so much fun and re, has so much respect for you, and really wanted me to make sure everybody knew your name and the website because people are um, need you guys all need to know that. And I've also put it in the chat room, and I've also put it on my on my Facebook page. You can also find Ivor on um, Facebook. You can um, you have to type in ivordavisbeatles.com to get to his website, and the Beatles and Me is there, and it has a bio and it's got some really fun sections and some really great photos in there, and um, 
It's a really beautiful website. Did you do that one? Did you create that or no? Some, some, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm quite good. I'm quite a good soccer player, but I, I, those, those talents as a tech, <laughs> as a tech person, I'm useless. And you can always find me uh, buying, squeezing the uh, the fruit. <laughs> at the Ventura Farmer's Market between 9 and 10. And if you come up and say who you are, in, 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 because of you, Holly, I'll give you two free grapes and a hug. <laughs> I want to ask you, you mentioned sports. Did any of the Beatles really like to play sports? Any of them want to really enjoy playing sports or watching them? In, a, in an answer, No. No. no, I mean, first of all, they never worked out at the gym. They never worried about their biceps. Uh, they uh-huh. never, they weren't interested in soccer. They, they, they were sort of half interested in meeting Muhammad Ali. They weren't into boxing. They met Muhammad Ali, had a brilliant picture taken with him. But they weren't, mm-hmm. I they love weren't that sports picture. fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great picture. That was mm-hmm. taken by Harry Benson, the great photographer from New York. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the Beatles were not into sport. I mean, it's amazing and um, in, in, in these days, uh, if you're a rock star, you've got to work out at the gym or you've got to have your personal trainer. They didn't have a personal trainer. They had a, a, a personal guy who would bring them uh, drinks into their room, but that was it. That was the only physical activity they did. So and, of course, they played they on stage. They just took care of themselves. Um, yes. Let's, let's go through each. If you don't mind, I'd like to go through yeah. each Beatle and, like, ask you a little bit about them and ask you um, – what memories you have of them, and a little okay. bit about their personality. Go. Let's start with uh, John first. John. Well, John. John was, I think, uh, the most brilliant of them all. I mean, he had a quicksilver mind. He mm-hmm. could come up with very funny stuff just at the drop of a hat. And he reminded me when, later in life, I I interviewed many times Robin Williams, who was a genius. Like I love like Robin. Robin Williams, John was a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, John did did say things that l- landed him in hot water, as you may remember when he said he said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. That mm-hmm. kind of bounced back and hit him mm-hmm. in the shins. But uh, he was brilliant. He did not like he did not like the merchandising of Beatles stuff. And my what I like to say is one day I I, I bought a Beatle wig for fifty cents. It was oh, big money funny. in those days. Uh-huh. And I took it to him and said, look what I've got, John. And he took it out of my hand, went to the window of the hotel and threw it out. <laughs> I, said, I said, John, you've just thrown 50 cents away. He said, well, I'll give it back to you. So, but, but, so, so that was John. John was just, was just off the wall at times, but very, very intelligent and, and a great mimic. And we were watching television with Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro at the uh-huh. time was president of Cuba. We were watching Fidel Castro on television. We finally turned off the turned off the uh, sound, and John did an incredible impersonation of Fidel Castro with a Spanish accent. Oh, so he funny. could do that. Yeah, he was great. He was just great. Um, and there was the other guy, Paul. Remember him? Um, anyway, yeah, I know Paul. Paul. Was, yeah, Paul was, uh, as I like to say, uh, using that very popular Irish expression, a schmoozer. Mr. He, Congeniality. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I mean, he would mm-hmm. actually, when when our when our private jet took off, he would come up the aisle and say, "Ivor, would you like a, a whiskey and soda, or would you like a drink?" And and, and I said, "Yeah, I, I wouldn't tip him for that, but he'd go and get me a drink." Well, I mean, that's 
Not too many people can say they were served by Paul McCartney, but he was uh-huh. like that. He put his arm around you, how you're doing, and he was very bright. He was the brightest of the Beatles when it came to money. He always had a lot more vision about the future than the other two. So mm-hmm. Paul was, and Paul was also a ladies' man. He, at the mm-hmm. time, if you remember, he was going out with Jane Asher, a very beautiful, talented English yeah. actress. But, but he left her back in England because Brian Epstein didn't want the Beatles to bring any of their friends, girlfriends, parents, whatever. So uh-huh. that, was, that, was, that was Paul. George. Now, George was the guy I was supposed to bond with. George was a little bit sullen to start off with. I had to write his column. Unfortunately, George slept until three in the afternoon, and I had to write my column by noon. So I oh, made wow. it up for the first few weeks. Uh, but then George said, your column that you're writing under my name is boring, is a boring load of old rubbish. <laughs> and I said, well, if you woke up in time and told me what was going on in your life, it would be better. He did wake up early. He did give me some more stuff, and the column improved. But I like George because he was he was the guy that was most uncomfortable with fame uh, and, and getting getting used to it. Now, Ringo, well, first of all, Ringo was the drummer, although John said he wasn't the best drummer in the Beatles, being funny, of course. <laughs> and and uh, But Ringo was the new boy on the block. Don't forget, he took over from Pete Best when they fired Pete uh-huh. Best. So Ringo was there. Ringo was... Uh, Started off rather slowly. He was a kid in the candy store in America. And then by the time the tour finished, Ringo was the most popular Beatle of them all. And, of course, he's phenomenally successful in A Hard Day's Night. And he was the star of the next movie, Help. So Ringo Mm -hmm. did okay. He did okay. And they were fun, though. I bet. You know, for me, it was always like, I loved them all, but George always seemed to me like the one that was always the one that was more mysterious, that had more more going on that he wasn't telling anybody. Exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and, and you know, you know, yeah, when he says nothing, you 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 become he becomes more mysterious, doesn't he? Mhm. And I think that he also out of all of the Beatles had the most conscience. Like he had more I think he, for me, from what I've what I've observed, I feel like he had more. Um, uh, he appreciated people more, and also yeah. thought about their feelings before anything was done. Um, yes. Well, he was well, more let me tell you. Is that the right he word? had great compassion. Great compassion. Yeah. That's a good. Good word. Mm-hmm. Because when Derek Taylor died too young. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to Derek's funeral. The only Beatle that showed up was George. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that was George. I've got. Can I ask you a question, Holly? Yeah. Now, now you probably know the answer to this because you are a Beatle expert. But how long, how long do you think the Beatles performed on each of their concert gigs? How long did they play for? You know what? I don't know. Don't know Take that a answer. Guess. Take a an guess. hour? Half an hour? Yeah, more like half an hour. Just half an hour. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Uh, well, Paul That's now sings crazy. for three hours. Ringo's concerts with all the other helper, two and a half hours. The mm-hmm. Beatles sang for 30 minutes and sometimes less when they were able to 
gallop through their songs, and then they were gone. They were out. They'd left the building before the audience got to its feet. Uh, they were in yeah, limousine number heard. one. Boom. They were gone. And they didn't do any encores, and they didn't do much chatting. They they would say, here's a song for my my new uh, our new film, and that was about it. Very little mm-hmm. dialogue with the audience. Very little. I want to ask you a question, Ivor. Um, as you were growing up as a young child in England and all that, did you know that you wanted to become an author and a journalist? Were you always interested in that and music and stuff like that? Well, not not really. I was always interested. I liked people. I was fairly mm-hmm. shy, and I reckoned if I had to be a journalist or a reporter, I had to stop being shy. I actually wanted, believe it or not, to be a detective. But in those oh, wow. days, you had to be you had to be five foot nine inches tall, and I was much shorter. So I knew that my days as a law enforcement cop were numbered. So I thought, well, I'll be a journalist. I can ask rude questions, and people won't punch me in the eye. <laughs> so. That's what I did. I became a journalist, and it was fun. And I it came to Hollywood, covered Hollywood, enjoyed talking to all the movie stars. Um, they talked to me. I knew they weren't my friend. I knew that they were asking, answering my questions because, not because they liked me, but because it helped their career. And as long as you don't delude yourself about that, then you can survive. That's my little mm-hmm. my little uh, uh, lecture for the day. Sorry. You never got you never got too close to anyone where it became where you could get hurt or be um in their way. Um how hard how now you were so integrated in covering the Beatles. Um so of course obviously there was a personal relationship there. So that was very yeah. different for you because you had to cross over not only writing about them and being an author and a journalist and being able to be around them and 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 chronicleize everything, but you also knew um, you were part of them. You were part of their family, basically. Um, well, I, I became I became a temporary member of their family. Were, mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Holly, they were stuck with me. They were. Yeah. I mean, they could uh-huh. they could have thrown me off the plane. They didn't. Um, uh-huh. But they also needed. Um, they couldn't go out and talk to any members of the public. So after a while, they they grew uh, comfortable with my presence. We could chat. They knew I uh, I wouldn't tell tales out of school, uh, and I, I sympathize with their plight. I sympathize with the fact that they were trapped uh, in the, in their hotels every single day. They wanted to see more of the Vegas. They wanted to see more of Dallas. They wanted to travel in New York, but they couldn't leave their hotel. And so mm-hmm. I became uh, a, a sort of friend temporarily uh, because they were stuck with me. Yeah, well, you're a good person to be stuck with, I think, um, because you're very fun, and um, I think that you covered a lot of different things with them, and um, meeting Bob Dylan and and meeting Elvis and getting to meet the people that you were able to meet through them, and then also the many um, celebrities that you personally interviewed Besides just being with the Beatles, you've done other work. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Do you mind if we segue into that for a second? No. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is um, that in a career uh, in which I covered Hollywood for uh-huh. 30 to 40 years and wrote a lot of cover stories about the stars, I mean, Robin Williams was brilliant. I mean, I go back to interviews with Elizabeth Taylor, spending two weeks in South Africa with Richard Burton, uh, John Wayne, 
Edward G. Robinson, just about, I went on tour with Elizabeth Taylor when she was peddling her perfume. That was fun, because Elizabeth Taylor, who was a great movie star, um, mm-hmm. was like a regular woman who loved to chat with housewives. So we went to all these stores where she was selling her perfume, and she loved to kibitz with them and tell them stories. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you, when you get down to the the basics with a lot of these stars, um, they're 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 human beings, and they they're always on parade when they go out in public, and they they are nice to me. Not so much because they like me, but because they know that I'm writing about Elizabeth Taylor's perfume, Richard Burton's new movie. Um, I mean, I, even even Bob Dylan's new house. Mm-hmm. That's an, mm-hmm. another funny story. But but the thing is, and I keep getting back to this, don't believe that you are adorable to them because they're nice to you. It's purely business in nine times yep. out of ten. Um, and, and, and I'm sure, I mean, with all due respect to the wonderful people you have on your show, you have a terrific show, and people are nice to you, aren't they? Very. And I've yeah. developed a lot of really great close friendships with a lot of people. And I have to say that I'm I'm a very real person and I don't and, and I like people I like to interview that's why I like to talk to people a little bit before I do an interview because then I always yeah. know kind of where I'm at with them. But most of the people that I have on my show, believe it or not, we end up becoming friends and forming some kind of alliance and friendship. And um Terrific. and that's how I like to run my shows. I don't really like to have somebody on that well, I mean, I love having people on my show, but like I said, the majority of the people on my show, if you ask me about anyone that I've interviewed, I could pretty much tell you, yeah, when I talk to them last, um, what's going on with them, um, you know, I, we keep in touch. Like, yeah. um, you know, that's the important thing. I develop a personal relationship with these people, and it's not like we cross over into that, but basically it's so much of a relationship that I can, that, that, I can call it, I know it, the kind of people that I really want on my show. I've turned some people down that I really don't want to interview on my show. Um, yeah. Just because... But, but you told me, you told me um, uh, when, we, when we first talked that, yeah. that all the people like uh, the offspring of, I mean, Julia... Exactly. All these, I mean, it, it's a huge, wide circle. And, and you, you like them and they like you and you obviously have a good time when you're... you're talking. And um, there it is. It's it's nice to have such a wide circle of people that enjoy spending time talking to you. Too, which is so weird. Yeah. It's like pretty much. I have to tell you, ever since I've started my shows, and I'm going on like what five or six years now. Yeah. Every yeah. single one of my shows have a has a common link with one of the Beatles, either a John Lennon reference or. Something. It's just really strange. Like Global Peace Day is coming up soon, and you think about yeah. John Lennon and Imagine and the Imagine Peace Tower that Yoko built, and then you know yeah. there's other things that come up, and you know there's just like I said, there's a commonality and there's a common thread through pretty much every one of my shows, and a reference. And when you were, um, when I was told about you, and I got the book, and so my gosh, this would be such a great interview. And honestly, 
You are a really fun interview, and I did extend the well, show, and well, I hope you do have a few moments. Yeah, because well, thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Thanks for being yeah, uh, you, seriously. You, you, you're doing a job as my PR person, do you? Oh, no, <laughs> anyway, no, 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 yeah, seriously. Yeah, 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 this yeah. book, you guys, if you are a diehard Beatles fan or you just really want to know the only the things that you'd only hear by being there, you have to get this book, The Beatles and Me on Tour. Because this is kind of like the kind of information, and this interviews kind of information that you'd only get from being there. You won't hear it from other people because there aren't a lot of people that really weren't as integrated as you've been able to be. Now, getting back to the other things that you've done, um, besides going on tour with all these amazing celebrities and doing some really cool stuff and going to Africa with with Richard Burton and stuff like that. You um, also worked, you did some stuff, you covered different events in North America where you um, talked about um, Divided They Stand, where you chronicalized the presidential election and witnessed some of the biggest trials in America. That yes. was a very yeah. cool book. Hmm. Well, it, it, it's very interesting. I mean, not only... Um, not only did I cover the big trials, I mean, I covered political events. I covered Ronald yeah. Reagan before he became president, and then I was uh, that tragically... That was fascinating. That was fascinating to me, that you were with him when before he became president and when he was an actor and yeah. stuff. When he was an actor, he used to hand out jelly beans. He used to give have a pocket full of jelly beans, Ronald Reagan, did a he? very amiable, amiable guy. Yeah, and when I went to see him in his office, on his desk, he had a huge... A jar, uh, and he'd and if, and as soon as you sat down to talk to him, he'd say, "Help yourself to jelly beans." So, um, <laughs> I am I probably I probably go down in history as the guy who's eaten more jelly beans with Ronald <laughs> Reagan than anybody. Which I'm not sure whether that's a Guinness Book of Records, but that's the truth. So, but, but the other te- terrible story, Holly, was um, a terrible story because um, I was in the kitchen in the hotel when Bobby Kennedy was shot. And that was a, yeah. a very nasty, awful, memorable, but that oh, ghastly evening when he was shot down. And then I went to cover the trial of Bobby Kennedy's killer, Sirhan Sirhan, and and then there was a lady called Patty Hurst who was the heiress to the to, to the Hearst uh, newspaper that. fortune. And yep. and and those those cases, and um, and then uh, then the, the the Sharon Tate murder cases. So I spent a lot of time in. In courtrooms, uh, watching uh, sometimes it was a bit like watching paint paint dry, uh, but very often the courtroom activities were pretty exciting. I mean, famous famous people in court. So I, I had a fairly mixed bag, and um, also I am a sports nut, soccer. So I covered a few World Cups for radio, traveling around to France and Germany, and mm-hmm. uh, wow. And, um, I I I like to. I mean, I have I've had fun. I've had a great life. I'm still around. I'm I'm not. Uh, somebody actually wrote, which is very funny, that uh, Ivor Davis is living out his golden years on the beaches of Southern <laughs> California. I thought my golden years. How about my silver, my my copper years? You know, and, I, and there I have my little walker and and and, and you know doddering around. <laughs> Sorry. No. That's my, that's my that was my old man voice. How are you, yeah. Holly? <laughs> How are you doing, kid? I'm so glad you can make me laugh today. Today's been one yeah. of those challenging days Tough so day. far. 
Yeah, it's well, been one of those well, really well, it should days. Be. Well, I'm sorry to hear that because, because as you know, um, you uh, you cannot be the Queen of Scotland now because Scotland <laughs> did not did not become its own country. I know. So they that's some part relief. Of they chose to be in, part of England. Part of England. Stay with England. Stay with England. Uh, which I'm. I think it would have been a bit of a mess, but the. And then they speak with a funny accent, even worse than the Liverpool accent up in Scotland. You can't understand a single word, and any Scottish movie needs a subtitle. But uh, but we're getting we're getting we're getting a bit off off center here. Sorry, dude. No, I think, no, no, your... no, no. This is fun. This is fun. You know, I want to say. So you actually really made what you thought about as a child come true. You wanted to be. A I did, and, and this and is you what I would got tell. got to be that. And when I when I talk to groups. When I talk uh-huh. to college students who want to get into television or radio or, mm-hmm. or newspapers where I started out, I tell them either be a broadcasting genius or get into television because, unfortunately, newspapers are on the decline, as we know. But, mm-hmm. but you still have to learn to write before you get onto television or radio. But it, it's, a, it's a whole different kettle of fish. But, I, but yeah, I've, I've had a great, uh, great career, and I'm still, I'm still here. Hey, what are you currently I think, working on? I, I heard you're working on well, two new books privately. Yeah, I am. I am. And one of them is a murder book. Um, uh-huh. And one of them is a book a book about uh, about movies. Uh, and really? I don't want to. Uh, next time, yeah, it, it's a book about movies, and I'll have, have fun with you next next time. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. And, and and this this most of it most of the movie book I'm doing is very amusing. And, and but I'm not going to tell you any more because otherwise, if you know it all about me, you won't want me on again. Oh no! I definitely want you back. Are you kidding? You are just so much fun, and you have so many great stories. And they're not just stories; they're reality. Um, do you have any moments that you want to share with our listeners um, um, that stuck that stick out in your mind that you experienced with um, being with the Beatles on tour? Well, you know, every day, although I didn't realize it, every day on that Beatle trip was was remarkable. Unfortunately, um, a lot of people, including me, didn't have the vision. For example, I should have taken my iPhone camera with me because I would have had so many pictures. Uh, because that that left led to one problem. Fifty years ago, I don't think did they have iPhone cameras fifty years no, ago? No, they didn't have iPhones. And you know what? I'm, I I hate iPhones at this point right now. Yeah. I don't even talk about it. But it was very handy iPhone. for pictures. <laughs> For pictures, yeah, it is. But I, I could, and and the only oh the only thing I regret is that I got ten Beatle autographs, most of them actually forged by Derek Taylor. But don't tell anybody I told you that. And I gave all my Beatle photographs and the autographs away to people, because who would have thunk, fifty years from now, they're probably worth at least a dollar fifty. Anyway, so. Uh, so there's always there's always regrets and not regrets, but I should have done that, coulda, shoulda. Don't you don't you say that you know yourself? What? You did exactly what you were supposed to do because this book is amazing and this interview has become really fun. And um, I, I mean, you're definitely a really fun person to talk with. And I had said, she said, oh, he's going to be so much fun because he's he's a journalist, he's an author, so. I knew that you'd be able to talk and be able to talk about things and talk about what was going on. You know, I want to ask you, what do you think about how the Beatles are represented today? 
as opposed to when they first started out? I mean, you said it just goes on and on and on. Um, What do you think about today's Beatles? uh, Let me answer that question with something you said. I think you've got to have certain fun in life. You've got to enjoy yourself. You've got to... I mean, the number of people that go to work today, and this has got nothing to do with the Beatles, but people who go to work and they're not having a good time, I mean, they're just they're just surviving. So I enjoy having fun. I enjoy talking to lively people like you. I enjoy, you know, this kind of rapport with you. So getting back, what was the question was about whether the Beatles are being well represented today? Is that the what question? Well, I just well, want to know what you think about how they're I mean, being look, represented. I, I, I mean, look at look at. I mean, Paul is Paul operates like um, I, I I must say that he is pretty phenomenal because you know when 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 Paul coughs, the world listens. Um, they are now they've reached the stage of of their little they're gods actually they're legends they're living legends and when you're a living legend, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, I, I've been doing, I must tell you this, I, I, I've been having a bit of fun at Paul's expense because, um, I did, um, I in, introduced a hard day's night for the Malibu film society and the, mm-hmm. the, and the event was being held in a Jewish synagogue in Malibu. And somebody said to me, w- w- did you ask Paul if you would come to the screening? in this Malibu Jewish synagogue for the Malibu Film Society. And I said, I did ask him, I said, but two things. First of all, he's seen the movie, so he probably won't come. (laughs) Second of all, he's married to a Jewish wife, and he knows that if he sets foot in a synagogue, the rabbi (laughs) will ask him for a donation. So that's two reasons why he didn't come. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. That is too funny. Yeah. So, oh my! But anyway, so so. What do you uh, think about John's? What do you think about John's kids and their music careers? Well, you know, it's very very hard to be the offspring of somebody famous, because number one, the kids want to do it on their own. Number two, that throughout their whole life they are going to be associated with the son of the great man or the daughter of the great mm-hmm. man. So it it is twice as hard. I mean, I used to write stories about the offspring of the famous, and many of the offspring of the Hollywood famous had disastrous lives because mm-hmm. they could never live up, they could never be their own father, their own mother. And so I think what they've managed to achieve, the offspring of the Beatles, is, is remarkable. And I wish them only success, and I think it, it's a tough road to hoe because everybody is going to be comparing them to their parents and that isn't a good thing, uh, and that's what I have to live with. You know, I I think that, you know, seeing it all and them knowing that what they're doing, and what's really freaky is Julian sounds so much like his father in Bob, a lot of yeah. his music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's incredible. Yes, and, and and they all, you know, they all have have a a, a, a kind of a, a wall to climb. They do. They do. And, you know, um, look at what Paul's daughter did. I mean, Stella McCartney, yeah. oh. she's a famous Well, she went in a completely different, different direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I must... But yeah, I, I mean, she is fantastic. I mean, yeah. I, was, I was at a press um, dinner 
um, a, a, about a month ago for the, the uh-huh. stars of, of Downton Abbey. Uh, remember Downton Abbey is that wonderful PBS show about the British aristocracy. And one of the leading ladies was wearing a Stella McCartney dress. And she told me, I said, what, what, this is fantastic. What is it? She said, it's Stella McCartney. And then I said to, to the one of the other actresses, do you have a Stella McCartney dress? She said, I'd love to have one, but I can't afford it. So Stella uh, is, is, is up there, you know, with, uh, with the great designers. And she's made it as a designer, which is fantastic. A, a beautiful outfit she makes. I mean, I don't personally wear them, but, you know, um, many other people do. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great, you know, talking about that and finding out about what what everybody else is doing. And um, she went in an artistic direction. What do you think about, what, what did you think about some of the, um, like they did the tribute to George when they did the yeah. um, George Harrison concert? What did you think of that? Well, I, th- I think it's terrific, and I think the problem is, as I said, when you look at uh, when you look at their kids, uh, do the kids want to duplicate? Look at look at uh, if I may say Frank Sinatra Jr., who sounds like right. his father, Frank Sinatra Senior. But Frank Sinatra Jr.'s career has been stop start because he sounds so much like his father and people compare him. So I, so to get back to what I said a moment ago, the fact that Stella McCartney can go in a different direction, the fact that many of the, uh, I mean, Julian is, has a great, a great voice. Um, they have to find their own way. They can't be copycats of their parents because they're always going to be compared. So it's a, it can be a no-win situation, but on the other hand, they have the name, and that that's a big draw. It's it's a tough road to hoe. Yeah, I know. And, and, you know, the thing is, they I can only imagine how they feel. They must feel like they have to keep up with um, what their parents did, and they have to be yeah. as good as or something like that. Um, did Did any of the Beatles, when you were with them, did any of the guys talk about um, – Children, when they were going to have children, if or if they wanted children, or any any kind of reference to that at all. Well, the answer to that was not really. Um, actually, uh, John, if I if I remember correctly, had a child, but so he mm-hmm. but it never came up because Brian Epstein didn't want the Beatles to be sullied by marriage. He he mm-hmm. wanted them to be. All four good-looking, clean-cut, handsome young men who were footloose and fancy-free. So right. the whole thing about children and offspring and all the rest of it were not, was not uh, never came up. And um, because Brian knew that if these guys were married with kids, uh, uh, some of the fans might not fall in love with them. And believe me, mm-hmm. the people I've spoken to many um, more mature women who were Beatle fans, and they all told me they were madly in love with one of the Beatles. And they knew oh, wow. that when when they, were at the, when they were at the arena and they smiled at Ringo, he smiled back at her. And, and they, were, they were destined to get together. So mm-hmm. the reason, what I'm saying is they didn't talk about kids. They didn't talk about that. I mean, Ringo said, if I make enough money, I'll open a hairdressing salon. <laughs> and that was his dream. <laughs> really? Yes, wow. that was his dream. I mean, that was that was the he big time. He wanted to be a hairdresser. Oh, yes. that's well, no, he didn't want to be a hair. No, no, he didn't want to he be a hairdresser. He wanted to open one up. 
for Maureen, who was his girlfriend. Oh, wow. Maureen was a hairdresser. So he was going to be Mr. Investor. Mr. Investor, the hairdressing salon owner, who would then put his girlfriend, who became his wife, to run uh-huh. this immaculate ladies' hairdressing salon. So, oh, that's but that funny. was their that was their dream, you know. That was that was his dream, and he probably could open at least two salons with the with the money he's made. What or about the other ones? Did they ever talk about anything they wanted to do in their future at all? Uh, the only thing that Paul said. To me, when I said, what do you want to do with your money or what are you going to do in the career? Because they never thought they'd last more than five years. Paul Mm -hmm. would say, Paul would say, what I'd like to do in the future is write music for other singers. And that was his dream. But of course, uh, really? Yeah, that was his that was his dream. So they, they the the ambitions. I mean, George always wanted to break away from the Beatles and. And, and show the world that he was a musician in his own right, which he did. And mm-hmm. um, R- Ringo, as I say, had hairdressing dreams. And uh, and John, well, you know, John was a uh, a unique mold. And um, w- when he got gunned down, I think, you know, the mold was lost. But even, even with his son, although his son is there doing a terrific job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Um, do you remember where you were when uh, John Lennon um, was killed? I, I was. I was sitting in uh, in a restaurant in Southern California when mm-hmm. somebody told me about that, and and the terrible irony, Holly, was that when we were on tour, John was angry about the shootings in America. Was, and, and, and complained about the fact that he, the Americans he saw, a lot of them were very gun-happy. And it was kind of w- bizarre because he was wary and worried about uh, the use of guns in America. And, of course, you know, there, there it is. I mean, it was, it was a future that he never, ever imagined would happen. He never, he never th- knew no. it would happen no. to him. no. That's, yeah, that's and John, really John, yeah, yeah, of course. And John was was the most political of the Beatles. He was the one that said, um, you know, he didn't want to perform in a stadium that was segregated, and um, and he was very much in favour of 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 the protests for the Vietnam War, and mm-hmm. he was very friendly with Joan Baez, who was also uh, an anti-Vietnam War. Um, person, and so uh, that's one of the things where they bonded on the the Vietnam War. That the, the, they and that's why he liked her. Although, don't forget, Joan Baez at the time was going out with uh, with um, Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan oh, made sure I didn't that, know uh, that John. Yeah, yeah. Joan Baez was going out with Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan told John to to keep his hands off of Joan. Are you kidding? That's I'm not hysterical. kidding. Yeah, that is really. Yeah. that's really. That's really. Yeah, funny. well, we, I was at a party when Joan Baez showed up, and John liked her, and she was a, a she was, a, you know, she was an unpretentious talent, and he liked people who were not full of themselves. He didn't like people who thought they were the greatest thing since sliced cucumbers. Mm-hmm. And that, that was John's is, attitude to people. That is so funny. I think yeah. that that um, you know that whole thing about it. Um, 
is just really, really funny because he he was always the one that really liked to have he was it seemed to me like he was a very intense person, but he also, as you said, was very um he had a lot of personality to him as well. Yeah. So that was Yes, that was he did. Cool. And he was and he was he was uh, conscious about things around him. Now, I mean the other Beatles were all a little bit I mean they were young men and uh, and they were having a good time and uh, enjoying themselves but John was more the most political of them all. Mhm. Very much yeah. so, very much so. Well, I think so th- I think know. that that's kind of cool that you were able to be part of that and so now you are doing these books and are do you think there's going to be a follow-up book to this uh Beatles and Me on Tour book? Well, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, I'm going to go on to um to a, an entertainment book or or my uh, my true crime book about uh, a friend of mine who turned out to be a murderer, but that's another story far safe wow. for another time. Um but mm-hmm. I, who I felt was innocent but then discovered he'd ha- actually murdered his wife. Um so that's a an interesting story. A change, a change of pace, and um, you know, I think there's been so many books, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of wind up by telling you this: that that the reason I wrote the book it was it was my story, my trip with the Beatles, and with all mm-hmm. due respect to a lot of the wonderful books that are out, ninety percent of the people who wrote have written books about the Beatles never actually met them. Never spent so, time with them, yeah. No, and and but they've done terrific. I mean, there's some sensational books out there. I mean, I've read a lot of them, and they are, they are and and the whole fraternity of Beatle book writers is is a wonderful one. I must say, I've met them all at the Beatles fan fest, and and I've hung out with them, and we've become friends, and you know, they have me on their show, and 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 um, and I met somebody like you, you know, through the Beatle connection, and it's yeah, a, it's see, a fraternity that is unbelievable. That's the really it's, fun it's, part. Isn't it? That's the really fun Isn't it? part. We've all got the Beatles in common. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Definitely. And I definitely okay. want to have you back, and I want to thank you so much for giving me so much of your time today. Well, and, it's a pleasure. Um, and I hope, I hope I'm going to see you at the Beatle Fest for fans at the Marriott in, Hotel. In October. That would be fun. Yes. And again, Please I want to give your website. It's www, and it's I-V-O-R-D-A-V-I-S, Beatles.com. And it's a fantastic website. And if you, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Ivor, how would they go about doing that? Well, the best thing is there's they've, my, my uh, Kathleen Kaiser, my uh, PR book uh, lady, has a thing there that you can you can write to me, um, okay. and then it comes it comes through to me through some system, and I will respond to anybody who wants to ask a question, uh, and I do that. And the reason I don't put out my regular email addresses i get nine million anyway and sure. it takes me three days to go through them all i mean i exaggerate slightly but but so no, so I if anybody imagine. wants to I ask know, me a beetle question like. yeah you do yeah so yeah. anybody has a beetle question i will be happy to answer it go on the website that you've described and write write the question there it comes through to me and i will respond i promise okay Fantastic, and I want to thank you so much for being here again today. And again, if you missed the beginning of the show, or missed, um, or want to listen to the show again, or download it to listen to it later because you enjoyed it so much, 
You can download it on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio On Demand. An amazing book um, if you are a Beatle, Beatles enthusiast or want to know more about things that really you had to be there to know it. Get the Beatles and Me on tour. Um, Ivor Davis, and make sure you check out the website. And Ivor, is there anything you'd like to say to everyone before we end the show? Well, today? I, I, I'd like to say it's 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 incredible after 50 years that that I've gone the full circle back to my Beatle experience, um, and mm. and I'm enjoying it. I'm having my three seconds of fame, and and, and it's quite fun. But but you know, tomorrow morning or next year or next week. Uh, things have to get back to normal, or whatever that is, whatever normal is in your life. But I'm having a good time, and I'm continuing to enjoy life. And thank you for having me on your program, your show. And it, I've had a good time. Oh, I, I was really happy to have you, and this has been really fun. And I can't wait to have you back on again. This is this thank this you so much. Great. And you're such an and amazing I'll, I'll see you man. at the Beatle Fest. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to end the show with uh, one of um, the other Beatles songs that you were there for, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and uh, you'll get to hear that too. So thank you guys all for listening, and make sure to tune in um, next week as we have Richie Scarlett on. And um, live from New York, he's an amazing musician, and we'll be having some other people. Hopefully, we're going to have somebody on with Peter Gabriel and um, the new Peter Gabriel book as well. And Ivor, I want to thank you so much for being here today again. And, yeah, uh, thank you, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed chatting, and you are a wonderful uh, oh, interviewer and 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 chat. And, and and please coming uh, from you, please, that's great. Yeah, thank you, and, and and come and say hello if you I are will. able to get to the Beatle Fest. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Thank, right. thank you, Holly, and, and, it's and Friday, have a great everybody, weekend. Don't drink and drive, and have a beautiful weekend. Here you guys go. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.